This is Jim Brown here, and I've been teaching on the 70 weeks of Daniel. I'm going to get into some things that's very interesting. You probably thought it was interesting before. This is going to get heavy right now. I'm going to try to slow down. This is actually part two of last week, because I'm talking about the 70th week of Daniel, 927. And this is the way it's expressed. Three and a half years, 1260 days, a time times, and half a times, 42 months. And at the end of that, I believe will be the end of time. And that's when Christ will come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. I have introduced you to this. You've got this. The time, time, and half a times, it's introduced in Daniel 9, Daniel 9, 27. When it speaks and says, He, the man of sin, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is talking about weeks of years. He introduced us to the 70 weeks in the 24th verse. In the 24th verse, it talks about 70 weeks are determined upon thy people to do six things to end their sin, to make, uh, to stop the transgression, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to seal up the vision prophecy, to anoint the most holy, to do these things and stop Israel from sin. Everything in the Bible is about Israel. New Testament is spiritual Israel. A lot of people resent that. I don't know how they can resent that when the Bible says in the second chapter of Romans, a Jew is not outwardly but of the heart. Circumcision is of the heart. And Paul told the Ephesian church, which is a Gentile church, you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He said the basic same thing to the church at Corinth in the second chapter. And circumcision was a sign of the Jew. Now, a couple of, here a couple of lessons ago, I was showing you all these places. I'll just read them off. Where you've got time, times, half a times, Daniel 7, 24 through 25, Daniel 12 and 7, time, times, and half a times, a Revelation, Daniel and Revelation is where you've got it. Revelation twelve fourteen. Time, time, and half a times. Revelation 12 and 6, 1260 days. It'll actually say 1,203 score days. So that'd be 1,200. And a score is, is 20, three scores 60. So that would be every time it speaks of 1,260 days. And then you've got Revelation 11 and 3, 1,260 days. Revelation 11 and 2, 42 months. Revelation 13 and 5, 42 months. Now, I'm going to have to go back and show you some things. The way you teach Revelation is the way you teach everything else. You define everything. Uh, I've gone through this 11th chapter and read to you about the 42 months. I'm not going to cover it all again 
I'll just kind of skip a rock over the top of the waters. Uh, the Bible speaks of the 42 months in verse 2 of chapter 11. And then it speaks of, I'll give my power, my power unto my two witnesses. We've already discovered the two witnesses are the two olive trees, according to 3 and 4 of this chapter. We found the two olive trees over in Zechariah 4. And the Bible says, that the two olive trees fed the oil into the lamp. We find out that the lamps, the seven lamps, were the seven candlesticks in Revelation, the first chapter. And first time you see that is in Exodus, the 25th chapter, when God tells Moses to build seven candlesticks of gold. Revelation is a Jewish book. And then it talks about the time period of this thousand two hundred and three score days, verse three of Revelation eleven, and it talks about. It it talks about the the two witnesses. Two witnesses. Are I'm going to always put equal. It's the same thing. The two witnesses equals. The two olive trees, two olive trees, and the two olive trees, uh, they pour the oil into the seven candlesticks. And the two witnesses, the Bible says, are the two that represent God in the earth, standing before God of the whole earth represent God in the earth. And the Bible says these two that represent God are the two anointed ones. Anointed ones. And there were two in the Old Testament that the anointed, the priest, and the king. And the Bible says God hath made us us priests and kings. So if we, the church, are priests and kings, we're the two anointed ones. The Bible says God hath made us priests and kings in the first chapter of Revelation and in the fourth chapter of Revelation. Made us priests and kings. And he says we are a royal priesthood in First Peter, the second chapter. So we're the priests and the sacrifice we give is our bodies a living sacrifice bodies a living sacrifice and as kings we declare righteous judgment and we're kings because Christ is living in us and he's the king of Israel so we declare righteous judgment according to John 7:24 judge righteous judgment don't look at the outward appearance so we are already God hath made us, hath made his past tense. It's aorist indicative, but it's past tense. So this is actually what we've gone over. The two witnesses are the are the two olive trees that feed the candlesticks, the olive oil. Olive oil. And olive oil was always a picture. Oil was a picture of the Holy Spirit, and that was truth. So when the light comes out of the candlesticks, that's that's the oil giving light to the world. So, now, 
when I, you have to, if you're teaching any book, you got to look at all the other places where it's mentioned, just like I just did about the, the candlesticks in the first chapter of Revelation. And the first time it's mentioned is in the, in the 25th chapter of Exodus, when God tells Moses to make it. Now, look here. I've already gone through this chapter, and I've told you when the witnesses die, that's the entire church. And the entire church, well, it all won't die. There'll be some that are alive and and remain. Perilipa. Perilipa is the word remain there in the fourth chapter of first of first Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. We were to alive and remain, survive this great slaughter as part of the two witnesses. We were to alive and survive, that's what it means. When the Lord Himself descends from heaven with a shout, Kaluo With a war cry, that there's no possible way that can be a secret coming in the fourth chapter. He descends from heaven with a war cry, and we which are alive and reign shall be caught up together with these people in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, and we find these two witnesses remain dead in the streets for three and a half days. That is 1,260 days. It costs three and a half years is one half of a Jewish 360-day year. Well, it's exactly that with 1,260 days. Half of the, uh, the, the full seven years is 2,520 days, and half of that's 1260 when the man of sin causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease it's not talking about a literal sacrifice in a literal temple I'm reviewing a little bit in Israel but Israel is worldwide now they're thinking that on the temple mount they're going to build a, a temple again and start offering offering lambs as sacrifices in it the problem is that temple mount is where the Dome of the Rock is. Dome of the Rock. And the Jews will have to start World War Three in order to take possession of the Dome of the Rock. And they're going to have to whip the entire Arab nations of the world. And besides that, when Jesus died, he started being the sacrifice offered once for all. There's no more sacrifices after him. So, this is not where the sacrifice and the oblation will cease. We're the temple of God, and our bodies are a living sacrifice. And the bread is the word of God. When they outlaw the sacrifice and the oblation, the oblation was the bread offering offered every day, every morning at sunup, and every, every evening at sundown around 6 o'clock. We're the sacrifice. This is what we'll see. They'll tell you and I. You can't go out here in the streets and witness and be put to death spiritually anymore. That's got to cease, and you can no longer partake of the Word of God the way you're doing. 
they're kind of moving towards that with political correctness. You, in certain countries of the world, you cannot run down anybody's ministry, even if they're lying and not telling the truth. You can't do it. It's called a fairness doctrine. And they tell you you're not able to do that. In some of the English countries, I don't know if they've got that still there, but they say you cannot run down Kenneth Copeland, even if he's lying. So that's causing the sacrifice to cease. I have been served a cease and desist warrant. They'll one day may come in here and say, we're serving you a warrant. You can't preach what you're preaching here anymore. Christmas is pagan. God does not love everybody. God creates evil. They're not going to want that. All right. Now, I'm kind of resetting the picture. Here in in the 11th chapter of Revelation, this is where the two witnesses die at the hands of this world system and when they finish their testimony in verse 7 they the beast that rises out of the bottomless pit makes war against the two witnesses or the church and their dead bodies lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt that's what literal Jerusalem was called Sodom and Egypt we are heavenly Jerusalem, the church in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. So you've got to compare these verses. And they of the people of the kindreds and tongues, nations, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. That's three and a half years on, the, on that 70th week calendar. And then after three days, this in verse 11... After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God enters into them, and that's where our bodies are changed in the moment in the twinkle of an eye. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell, fell upon them which saw them. And then they heard a great voice saying, Come up hither, that is, will be changed in the moment in the twinkle of an eye. I, I looked up twinkle of an eye, on the internet and it said it twinkles at about one billionth of a second so we'll be changed that quick boom like that I can't even say boom fast as twi- an eye twinkles one billionth of a second then I've got to finish the rest of this down in verse 14 the second woe is past and behold the third woe the second woe was the there were seven trumpets, seven woes. So the third woe is the is the fifth trumpet, and the behold the third woe come quickly, and the then the sixth and seventh is the sixth and seventh trumpet, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven. You're going to have to understand something about heaven. When you see heaven anywhere in the Bible, when you go over here in chapter 12, we're still in the 
42 months or 1260 days. 1260 days, 42 months, time, time and a half time, three and a half days are all the same. It's half of half of seven years on a Jewish calendar. They only have 360 days in their year among the Jews. When you see this woman and she's from heaven uh, in verse 4 of chapter 12 speaking of of uh, of the dragon and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. The stars of heaven is a reference to the angels, and a third of the angels were the fallen angels that fell with Satan. Satan is cast out by Michael in this very chapter. And you have to connect this, Satan being cast out by Michael, you got to connect this with that 14th chapter of Isaiah. Because I just want to teach you how to study. Go to the 14th chapter of Isaiah. Not 14th chapter of Isaiah, excuse me. 28th chapter of Ezekiel. The 28th chapter and the 14th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 14. Ezekiel 28. Both of these are a picture of Isaiah, Babylon, and Ezekiel 28, Tyre, which is an offshoot of Babylon where they worship Bell in the Grove. But it all started in Babylon. When you go over here, always think this way. Go over here to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14 and it compares Tyre and Sidon is what we call Lebanon. Lebanon is right above Israel. Maybe if I say this slow enough, you'll get a hold of it. Jim. What? The map is in the way. What? The map is in the way. I don't know what you said. This is in the what did you say? This is in the way. Oh, is it? Okay. Move it over. All right. When it's talking about Tyre, it's talking about right above Israel, and that's where Jezebel's father, Ethbel, lived. And that's where he worshipped Baal in the grove and Shemash and Molech and all those gods. That is right above Israel. That's the land of Ahab, and uh, not Ahab, Jezebel. And she marries down into, marries Ahab, the king of northern Israel, brings her gods with her. So, so you have to understand that. Babylon is over here on the Euphrates River. There's Euphrates running right here. And yet the Tigris here running down there also. No, the Euphrates is right here, the Tigris is right here. So, Babylon influenced Tyre to worship Baal in the grove. There's two men in the Bible that are compared with Satan. And that is Belshazzar of Babylon, the last king of Babylon, and 
and Ethbaal, the prince of Tyre, because they all worship Baal in the grove and the sun and the tree gods there. So when you go over here to Ezekiel 14, and I'm talking about that 11th chapter, uh, I'm talking about the 11th chapter of Revelation, and entire, this is the, that's Ezekiel. Yeah, fourteen twenty-eight, Ezekiel twenty-eight, and Isaiah fourteen, and I'll just read the part that I'm interested in, and it's talking about the prince of Tyre, because earlier in the chapter it says so. It says I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. That's verse one. I sit in the seat of God. But he was calling God Baal then. And Tyre was a little island just off, but it was still Tyre. Tyre was the capital city. When you see Tyre and Sidon, it's like saying the same thing. That's where they worship Baal in the grove. And that's what brought it down into Israel when Ahab of northern Israel run into Jezebel. The her father was Ethbaal, means with Baal, Ethbaal. Ethbaal. And Tyre was right off of the coast. It was a city right off the coast. It was a little island. And when it says I say unto the prince of Tyre, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thine heart is lifted up, thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat in the midst of the seas. That's very important. There was no way to Tyre, but when Alex the Great started conquering the world, he had to bring his armies down here, and he had to build a bridge, a land bridge, out to Tyre in order to conquer it. So it was actually in the midst of the seas. That's that's not some uh, figure of speech. It was actually in the midst of the sea. And then you go on down here, and he's talking about. I don't want to read all of it. Just I just want to introduce you to this. He's talking about. Uh, let's look at verse eleven. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "Son of man." Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre and send him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast seen in Eden the garden of God, that's been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets, of thy pipes, was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. And he's what he's doing, he's blending the king of Tyre with Satan because they are 
Babylon was the mother of all idolatry and they're worshiping Bell in the Grove. And that was the beginning of Babel where they started Bell in the Grove. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect. It doesn't mean without sin. The word is tamim. T-A-M-I-Y-M. And what he's doing, he's crisscrossing and actually blending Satan with the prince of Tyre when he says, Satan is in this man. I've told you that Satan, Satanos in Greek, meant adversary. In the Hebrew, it's Satan. It means adversary. It means the enemy of God. These are enemies because they're raising much other gods. So he says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast upright. Perfect means upright. In thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. The word is E-V-E-L. It's our word evil. Till evil was found in thee by the the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. That's a picture of Satan in man. I don't believe Satan is a creature hovering around in the air. I believe he's in the hearts of evil, wicked men that are not redeemed. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperate wicked. Now, look here at Isaiah 14. This is another picture of Satan. Isaiah 14. Except this will tell you it's man. We saw it was the prince of Tyre. He dwelt in the midst of the seas in the 14th chapter. Every time preachers preach on this, they try to make it Satan. Well, it is Satan, but Satan means adversary. They were propagating sun and tree worship. Now look here in Isaiah 14. There's a verse that preachers fail to read when they're reading this 14th chapter. They need to read, above everything, verse 4, that thou shalt take up a proverb against the king of Babylon. This whole thing is about the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar. He was a profligate. That means a sleaze. He was debaucherous, just had every kind of wickedness about him. And then it starts talking about him. And it calls him Lucifer. Lucifer is mentioned one time in the Bible. Don't call Satan Lucifer. Lucifer was Belshazzar. When you go up to verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Only time is mentioned. Son of the morning. Lucifer is the word 
Hylial, H-E-Y-L-E-L. It is a form. It comes from halal. And we say halal jah. Or hallelujah means the halal, the praise, belongs to Jah that is short for Jehovah. It belongs to Jehovah. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which disweaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That was what Lucifer said. Belshazzar, this is a proverb against Belshazzar from that fourth verse. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He thought a lot of himself. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man, Belshazzar? It's not talking about some spirit called Satan that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners and did not let Israel go. Now let's go back to Revelation. you got to think of where all these things are referencing to. Now, verse 15, chapter 11. The seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven. you got to have to understand what heaven means. In the New Testament, the word heaven is uranos, O-U-R-A-N-O-U-S. Uranos. We get the planet Uranos from that. The heavens, everywhere you find it in the book of Revelation, it's talking about... That's another title for Israel. Israel. You got to keep that in mind. Let me give you some information on heavens. If you go into McClinton Strong, heavens, let me put this on the board. Heavens. Mount and horns all meant powers. The Bible says it was four horns right at the end of the first chapter of Zechariah. It was four horns that carried Israel into captivity. What were those four horns? What were the four horns, four powers that carried Islam into captivity? Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Real easy. Babylon, Persia, Greece, 
and Rome. And that's the four horns in Zechariah, the first chapter. Well, when you look at heavens, go into McClinican Strong and get your... You remember I read to you Mount? You go to the M volume and you go to Mount... Now, I've told you that there were two mountains in Scripture that at war with each other. You can't just explain a verse by looking at the verse without going all over the Bible to what it actually meant in every spot. Now, a mount, a mount was a capital city. The same thing as Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Heavens being Israel was ruled by Zion a capital city of Israel capital city and the Bible calls Babylon a proud mountain proud mountain and that God says, well, she was proud because she was built on self. Let us make us make us a name. And she has this elixir. She's got, when the Bible speaks of drunken with the wine of Babylon, it's talking about this here. Let us make us a name, pride. And then you had the Bible says this is all in Jeremiah 51 and God says you are a proud mountain I'm going to make you a burnt mountain a burnt capital city you can substitute that burnt mountain I'm going to make you a burnt mountain and you find the mountain of Babylon this is all in Jeremiah 51 you find the mountain burning in Revelation 8 in Revelation 18 you find the mountain of Babylon burning at the end of time the mother of all idolatry is going to be destroyed now let me read this one more time this is the M volume of McClinic and Strong. If you don't have a McClinic and Strong, you can get it online. You just you just enter uh, McClinic and Strong encyclopedias, and it'll give you the whole thing. Let me read this to you. This is Mount under Mount. In symbolical language of Scripture, if the allegory or figurative representation is taken from the heavens, the luminaries denote the governing body. If The governing body is the stars. We're going to say something about that. The governing body would be the stars. The luminaries denote the governing body. If from an animal, the head or the horns is the governing body. If from the earth, a mountain or a fortress, they're all the same. Mountain, heavens, horns. They're telling you right here. That was figurative language to them. 
And in this case, the capital city or residence of the governor is taken for the supreme power. I'm going to show you something about heavens that's just amazing. It's astounding to me. When David says, Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. In Psalms 30 and 7. He means to express the stability of his kingdom. If you don't get down to figures of speech, you'll never understand the difficulties of the book of Revelation. Never. In like manner, the kingdom of Messiah is described under a figure of a mountain in Isaiah 2 and 2. You remember, there was a mountain there and there was a, a stone made without hands that came down and crushed the mountain of the world. That's another picture of Babylon being a burnt mountain. That was one of Nebuchadnezzar's visions and dreams. In Daniel 2 and, and 35, the figure of a mountain its universality by its being the resort of all nations and by filling the whole earth. That goes back, the earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that covers the sea. That's talking about Gentiles all over the world are going to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then he says, uh, and its universality by it's being a resort for all nations and by filling the whole earth. The mystic mountains in Apocalypse denote kingdoms. It's talk, Apocalypse is talking about revelation is the word apocalypto. That's the word revelation. The apoc, Revelation is called the apocalypse. Apo K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S that's the word revelation, apo and calypto. Comes from those two words, it means to remove the cover. When you find out what these words mean, it's not that hard. Then he goes on to say, the mystic mountain in the apocalypse denote kingdoms and states subverted to make room for the Messiah's kingdom in Revelation 6 and 14, uh, Revelation 16 and 20, and comparing to Psalms 46 and 2. The Chaldean monarchy, Chaldean is another name for Babylon, is described as a mountain in Jeremiah uh, 51 and 25, Zechariah 4 and 7. And the Targum illustrates the idea by substituting the word fortress for mountain. There's just so much to this. Now, let me give you something else. When you go into your McClinican Strong, let me give you something here. Here's what they say heaven is. Every time you find it in the book of Revelation, this is what it's talking about. Heaven. A terrestrial and figurative, figuratively regarded wherever the scene of a prophetic vision is laid, heaven signifies symbolically the ruling power or government. That's what it symbolizes. Oh, the ruling power. Who was the first ruling power? 
who was it could rule all the world and they would all flee if they were obedient to God. When I say that Israel was the heavens, that's what this says. It is, well, let me read a little more of that. That is, if the whole assembly of the ruling power, which in respect to the subjects of the earth are a political heaven, being ever and ruling subjects as the natural heaven, even rules the earth. What he's saying, heavens was a title for Israel. They ruled the world. When they did what? When they were obedient to God, right? Didn't God tell Israel in Deuteronomy 28? 28. Didn't God tell Israel, if you obey me, I'll fill up your basket and your store and you... You'll have more than you can eat, and you'll have all kinds of food, and your storehouses will have be just busting out. And you'll be able to do one other thing. If your enemy comes against you seven ways, or one way, they'll flee seven ways. That made Israel the heavens, didn't it? If the ruling class... He said, here is my condition. You have to be obedient to me in order to be the heavens and go against your enemy one way, and they'll flee seven ways. The one way fleeing seven ways is the same thing as the heavens because that is obedience. Seven ways. And the heavens, huh? Ways. What did you Seven ways. Not days. Oh, seven ways. <laughs> Well, they come against you one way, and they flee seven ways. Seven ways. And I put days. They'll flee seven ways. Well, that actually makes them the heavens, according to definition. Let me show you what the Bible says about heavens. And every time we run into it in the book of Revelation, if you're in the fourth chapter, and the writer says, In the fourth chapter, I'll just say it real quick. I won't spend any time on it. But the writer of Revelation, John the Revelator, he says in the fourth chapter, he says, After this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. He's talking about in God's heaven or God's Israel, which is the church. If Israel is the heavens, then whatever the church is, they're the heavens now. Let me show you something that people do not understand. Never heard a preacher, they even got a hold of it. Look over here in Revelation, the 21st chapter. And I'm going to substitute Israel for heaven in this first chapter. And I saw new Israel says new heaven and new earth oh a new heaven and a new earth 
You remember when we read out of this same article what heaven and earth was? Heaven's the ruling class. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to be poor in spirit to be a spiritual Jew, be in the kingdom of heaven. In this article about heavens, I've got a section back here. It's heaven and earth. It's in the section on heavens in McClendon and Strong. And it will tell you that heaven and earth was the ruling class and the ruled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's talking about Israel inheriting the ruled. And we rule with a scepter of righteousness. But that's not the common word righteous. That's in Hebrews 1 and 8. That's not the common word righteous. The common word righteous is D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. And it comes from D-K, D-K-I-O, D-I-K-A-I-O-O. And that is the word justify, meaning to render innocent. And we we get the word, all that is a form of D-K, which is the word right. But that's not the word righteous in Hebrews 1 and 8. The word righteous, this is why you've got to have a concordance. Because in 1 and 8 it's a different word, but they translate it righteous. We rule, we rule in the kingdom of God with the scepter of, of uh, euthus. Or euthetes, A-U-T-H-E-T-E-S. Euthetes comes from you and tithemai. Tithemai means to level, and this means a well leveling. When you bow to the will of God and you level to Him, you tell people the truth, you rule them with the Bible because they don't want to hear it. They'll run away from you like they've been talking to a king. Because they have. Because Christ is in each one of us. And when you, and the Spirit comes out of your mouth. The Bible says that in John sixteen thirty three, Whatever the Spirit heareth, that he speaketh. Where is the Spirit? In us. Comes out our mouth. Let me show you something about this heaven. Look over here in the 21st chapter of, of Revelation. I saw new heaven and new earth. You think that's the first place that's been mentioned? No siree. New heaven and new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. The first Israel and the second ruling class the second class that was ruled is passed away and there is no more sea now the first place we find the new heaven and new earth is Isaiah the 65th chapter Isaiah 65 look at that and you got to keep all this in mind as we're studying Isaiah 65 
Here's where it's first mentioned. Verse 17. And I create new heavens and new earth. I create new Israel. What is that? What would the new Israel be? Somebody say it to me. This old Israel has passed away. What would be the new Israel? The church. That's what it's talking about. This entire chapter, this entire chapter is about God rejecting Israel for their idolatry. So what he says, I'm going to create a new heaven, spiritual Israel. Are we spiritual Israel? Well, I hold your place there and run over here to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. But hold your place over there. Definition is everything. I hope you can see that. Go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. All right. We'll start reading here. He's talking about a literal Israel and a spiritual Israel. A literal Jerusalem, which in the 11th chapter of Revelation is compared to Sodom and Egypt. But that's not the church. And he says here in verse 18, For ye are not coming to the mount that might be touched. Anyone who touched that mountain where Moses was upon the top of it died. God would kill you right there on the spot. If an animal touched it, God said you had to run them through with a spear and kill them. And that burned with fire, we don't come to that mountain, nor the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, he must be stoned or thrust through with a spear, a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He was terrified. That word fear, ekphobos. Phobia, we get our word phobia, it means to be frightened out of his wits. Ek means out. Phobos means to be frightened. But, here's what we come to. You are coming to the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's us. And to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly, and church. So the heavenly Jerusalem is the church. And that's the ones that rule. Everywhere you find the heavens or the heavenly, that is a reference to the church in the New Testament. Now let's get back over here in Isaiah 65. To find out what new heavens is, you've got to find in Isaiah 65, God is rejecting literal Israel and accepting spiritual Israel. And all through this book, he talks about the Gentiles coming to his light. 
and that will be the Gentile church that is birthed and born in Acts the second chapter. And he says here in verse 1 of chapter 65 of Isaiah, I am sought of them that ask not for me. That's the Gentiles. A Gentile is everyone that's not a Jew. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation. The word nation and the word Gentile are the same word, same exact word. That was not called by my name. That's the Gentile church. I have spread out my hands all day unto a rebellious people, which was the Jews, which walketh in a way that was not good, following Baal in the grove and Shemash and Molech, after their own thoughts, a people, the Jews, that provoke me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense among altars of brick, which remain among graves and lodge in the mountain monuments, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things, is in their vessels, which say, you may have thought this was a saying, but it comes out of the Bible. Stand by thyself. Come not near me. I'm a Jew. For I am holier than you are. I'm holier than thou. These are smoke in my nose. The Jews of the Old Testament, he's got a new, he's got a new Israel, the church. A fire that burneth all day. Behold, it is written before it is written before me, I will keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers who came before you that went after Baal in the grove. Together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work unto their bosom. This is what I'm going to do to Israel. Destroy them. I'm calling my people by another name. Thus saith the Lord, as new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. There's certain ones that are that are believers. I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, Speaking of Christ out of Judah. And mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants will dwell there. We're God's elect. He's elected unto us unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood. And that was the blood baptism where he martyred them to death. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of acorns a place for the herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. But ye are they, talking about Israel, that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, Zion, that prepare a table for that troop. The word troop is mene, M-E-N-I-Y. And that word means number. It's another name for for Allah. 
They were already worshiping Allah here in the Old Testament. And that furnish drink offerings to that number. Well, excuse me, number is the word mene. Troop is the word gad. Gad means to distribute fortunes. They were distributing the fortunes of this world. Therefore will I number you to the sword talking to Israel. And you shall all bow down to the slaughter because when I called you did not answer. They were burning incense all the way to the very end of Israel's history. They were offering sacrifices to idols, to Baal and Molech and so forth. But did evil before mine eyes and did choose wherein I delighted not. This is God condemning Israel for what they've done through the mouth of Isaiah. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you literal Israel will be hungry. My servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit, and ye shall leave your name, literal Israel, for a curse unto my chosen, the Gentile church. I'll tell you what you do. You look up Gentile, look up what it says all through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is preaching the Gentile church. Paul said, I was sent to be a missionary to the Gentiles there in the second chapter of Galatians. I keep saying Paul was the New Testament Isaiah. Isaiah was the Old Testament Paul. For the Lord shall slay thee, literal Israel, and call his servants by another name, Gentile church. For he, for the that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the Lord of truth, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the Lord of truth, because the former troubles, literal Israel, with all their Baal and tree worship, are forgotten, and because they are hid from my eyes, now, he says, I will create new heavens, a new Israel, and a new earth. And the new Israel will rule with a scepter of righteousness. When you bow to the will of God and tell people the truth, they'll run away from you. I've had that happen to me a bunch of times. Like there's a king present. And the former shall not be remembered. The former is that which was before. Literalism will be forgotten. Nor come into mind but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that I create. And behold, I create Jerusalem of rejoicing. What Jerusalem? Heavenly Jerusalem, the church. If you know what these things mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If you know what the heavens are, I create new heavens and new earth. So anytime we run into the heavens, it has a meaning. It doesn't mean someplace up there in the sky uh, beyond uh, beyond mathematics, beyond any understanding. It doesn't just mean that. It means whatever's ruling. And we rule people. I've given the illustration so many times. I, You rule people by quoting Bible to them. I went in to pick up a key to a house one time to show a house, and this old Marine sergeant 
come out and blustering, boisterous. He was showing off for three plastic women sitting on the couch waiting for their clients to come in. And he said, I feel great. I feel wonderful. I said, oh, you must have Jesus in your heart. And boy, I embarrassed him in front of those women. He went, no, blankety, blankety, blank. I said, well, I tell you, you don't have Jesus in your heart. But what's coming out of your mouth? Because out of the bunch of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, I've got to get out of here. And he nearly ran out of the room. That's how you rule the scepter of righteousness. You make people afraid of you. If you learn the scriptures, you'll do that. Now, so when you get back over here to Revelation, let's just go back over there. So if he says, let me give you something I've seen in this. I think figurative all the time. I think, uh, I think in idiomatic language, if you don't think the first verse of Revelation says, I'm sending, let me just read it to you. First verse. This is how it starts. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel. Signify is the word semiao, S-E-M-E-I-O-O. It comes from Simeon, S-E-M-E-I-O-N. And Simeon means a flag, a signal, a beacon. These are what you call pointers. What God is doing is using words that is used all through the Bible, and they are pointers to what reality is. So when you back up to chapter 21, and I saw new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven, which is literal Israel, has passed away. And the first earth, which we were the ruled, being ruled by Israel, first earth passed away. There's no more sea. That's a long subject on the sea. I'll talk about that later. And I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. He can't be talking about some big cube out of the sky coming down. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about new birth here. He's talking about the new birth. Because the new heaven is the believer's of the new heaven, which is the church, heavenly Jerusalem, the church. I saw, and how could he call holy city, New Jerusalem, how can he call that holy when he made reference to literal Jerusalem over in the 11th chapter of Revelation as Sodom and Egypt? He can't be talking about, I, John, saw heavenly Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride. What is the bride of Christ? The church. If the church is the bride, this is talking about new birth to everyone in the church. Let me show you a verse that really 
you got to go back and forth to get the verses that verify these things. Go back to the third chapter of Revelation. It says basically the same thing. The third chapter. In verse 12. Him that overcometh. Remember the word overcometh? Is the word. Let me erase some of this. Hold on. Overcometh. This is going to read a lot like the same verse over in Revelation 20. Overcometh. That is the word N-I-K-A-O. It is the verb form of Nike. Looks like Nike. That's probably where they got the word from. If you wear Nike tennis shoes, you can outrun everybody else, right? Victory. It's actually the word victory. What is the victory that overcomes the world in First John, the fifth chapter? Five. Even our faith. And what is faith? It's death to self. So the way you overcome overcome the world is you die to this flesh that wants to fulfill itself. And that's the outer man. And he's going to be destroyed by the inner man, Christ in you. Now, let's read the rest of this. Him that overcometh with faith will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Is he going to make us out of marble or what? He's going to go poof, you're a marble pillar. No. This is spiritual language like the whole book. And he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God. Remember I told you a few weeks ago that name and mark had the same meaning. Men authority. The mark of the beast is not getting a shot of this vaccine. That's so stupid. In other words, somebody could take Jesus out of your heart by wrestling with you and putting you on the ground and have four guys hold you down. Now you're getting a shot of the vaccine. You got the mark of the beast now. And you don't believe God anymore. That's stupid. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem in Hebrews 12. New Jerusalem in Revelation 21. And I, John, saw Holy City, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. That's talking about the new birth for everybody in the church. Then he says, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven. Wait, let me read that over here in Revelation 21. I saw New Jerusalem and New Earth. And let me get to verse 2. And I just saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Back to verse 12 of chapter 3. And him that overcometh... Uh, I'll write upon him the name of the city of my my God, 
which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name, my authority. Now, let's, I didn't mean to get off on all of this, but I wanted you to see what heaven was. So when we go back over here, You go back over here to the 11th chapter of Revelation. I got a lot of things to say about this. This is very figurative language. I hope some of you can see this. Am I being plain enough where you can see it? You see that the heavens is the church. It was once Jerusalem. Now there's new heavens and new earth. The earth. We inherit the earth when we're make. We inherit the earth to rule them with a rod of the scepter of righteousness, bound to the will of God. The well leveling, the euthetes, E-U-T-H-E-T-E-S, is that word righteous comes from tithame and you means well, well leveling to the to the ju- to the laws of God. Now, when you back up over here to the eleventh chapter. Y'all realize what it takes to get through this because you've got to define everything according to the book. All right. And the seventh angel, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded. That's not... It says over here in chapter 10 and verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, who has the seventh trumpet. So, this is not two different trumpets sounding. What's happening in verse 15 of chapter 11 is the same thing that's happening in verse 7 of chapter 10. Just because these chronologically follow one another, that does not mean that's the way in time it works. Here's what happens when the seventh angel sounds. The seventh angel with the seven trumpets, there are seven angels with seven trumpets, we're going to be changed at the last trump, the sounding of this seventh angel. That's when we're going to be changed. That's during the, that's at the end of the thousand two hundred and three score days in verse three of chapter 11 or the 42 months in verse Chapter 11, verse 2. So, and then he says, The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats. you got to go back to the fourth chapter of Revelation. Do I have any time, Mike? 22. I got into deeper than I expected to get in this week. I'll try to... You'll never get all of Revelation. The only way you get it is learn what all these things mean. It's not hard once you learn what heavens means. Right? Heavens is the ruling class. And Israel was the ruling class as long as they obeyed God. But when they gave up their obedience... Look here. They were the heavens as long as they're obedient to God. But you have to be obedient to God to be the heavens. Hmm. 
you can't just preach one verse and one section of the Bible. No verse stands alone. So, what I'm going to give you here. Israel, as long as they obeyed God, they could whip anybody. It didn't matter how many there were. There was one against a thousand with Samson, wasn't there? And he killed all those thousand. There was three hundred. There was five hundred thousand that went against. This was Israel in the fourteenth chapter of Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles. There was five hundred thousand that went against a million Ethiopians. And the million Ethiopians had 300 chariots of iron. You couldn't beat 300 chariots of iron. They had those scythes coming out on the wheels. They would just grind and cut people all to pieces. You could not beat that. But they did. Because they had a, they had a wonderful, godly man leading them. And that man was Asa. So they, so he would, in fact, he had stripped Israel of all idolatry worship. Baal in the grove is gone. So when this happened, he prayed the prayer that I pray every day to God. Asa prayed the prayer and he said, Lord, let not man prevail against thee. We've had people want to destroy this ministry and I pray every day. Lord, let my man prevail against thee. I never say against me. I say, let not man prevail against thee. And Israel was the heavens here. How did they lose being the heavens? In the 15th verse of Deuteronomy 28, The Bible says, if you're disobedient to me and do do not obey me, I will call a sword, famine, pestilence, and then I'll call the beast to remove you to all the kingdoms of the earth. When the beast comes along, let me say this slow. When the beast comes along, and is able to move Israel, do they have the power that Israel had? Yeah. And it was ten, it was ten of the northern tribes of Israel, led by a man named Ahab, and Jezebel, where they began to cease obedience to God by bringing in those bell in the grove gods down in Israel. They actually gave up their power to the beast. And how many tribes were there in northern Israel? There were ten. 
boy, this is some people. It's hard to get a hold of this. There were ten horns. A horn was a power that gave their power to the beast. So when you find the ten horns, in fact, look at Micah, the first chapter. This will tell you exactly who gave their power to the beast. Micah, the first chapter. I'll be there in a minute. My pages will only turn. That's Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. All right. Micah tells you that it was the ten northern tribes that gave up their power to the beast. And he says here in verse 5, For the transgression of Jacob... Jacob, when it's mentioned, is talking about all twelve tribes. So the transgression of the twelve tribes and for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, northern Israel? The ten northern tribes gave it up because it was Ahab marrying Jezebel. So the transgression of the whole nation was from Ahab bearing Jezebel from Tyre and Sidon bring her gods down here and then Ahab goes and charms Jehoshaphat who was a righteous man to go to war against Ben-Hadad with him and since Jehoshaphat a righteous man starts running around with this killer their kids get together one day and Jehoram marries Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. And she goes down and takes her father's and mother's gods down there. And they end up, and the whole nation ends up corrupt because of northern Israel, the ten northern tribes, the ten horns. And you're going to find that the ten horns is not destroyed at the end of time. Every time you find ten horns, it means the power to destroy in the world was given over to the beast. That's very figurative language, but that's the truth. They gave up their power to beat everybody by disobeying God. Can you see that? That's pretty hard stuff. Now, do I have any time, Mike? 14. Let's go back over here to Revelation. I'm defining some things for you so you'll understand. We've got to look at one more thing maybe before. Before I quit today, I, I'm not even getting to all the subject. I'm talking about during that time, time and half of times or twelve hundred and sixty days or forty two months, which is half of half of seven years, it's the fulfillment of the twenty seventh verse of the ninth chapter of Daniel. 
He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of week, he'll call the sacrifice and oblation to cease. That sounds awful simple, but that may be, that may be a huge persecution of the church. And thousands of us will be put to death. Now back here to the 11th chapter. Verse 15, The seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven, saying, and the heaven is Israel, spiritual Israel, saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord in his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now we know this is at the very end at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. What gets me, I don't know why preachers can't see this. At the sounding of the seventh trumpet, there's seven trumpets. In Revelation 8, 9, and 10. 10. When the seventh one sounds in Revelation 10 and 7, it matches up with the same seventh trumpet sounding in Revelation eleven fifteen. Over in 11.15 it says, it says here in Revelation 10 and 7, the seventh trumpet sounds and the mystery is finished. Mystery of God. The mystery of God, when you look at Ephesians, the third and the fifth chapter, the mystery of God is the church. Finished is the word teleotes, T-E-L-E-I-O-T-E-S. means complete. The last one comes into the fold at the signing of the seventh trump. last one's in. Something happens over here in 1115. At the signing of the last trump, and I believe we're headed towards this 70th week, it's not going to be this figurative. It's going to be literal when it happens. There's going to be destruction like we've never seen on the earth. Tribulation such as not from the beginning of the world, known or ever shall be. Many of us will die. I don't mind dying. I just, I don't want to languish and suffer I'm going to say look if you're going to kill me let me put a bullseye right here and shoot straight take me out of here so I can go be with the Lord okay I don't want to be crippled for 20 years if that's what God wants that's okay but when the seventh angel sounds in verse 15 all of God's enemies are conquered Satan cannot conquer anymore these people that have a pre-trib rapture they got people dying all through the tribulation. Then when they have a millennium, they got Satan rising up at the end of a millennium. But God has conquered everything at the signing of the seventh trumpet. There is no pre-trib rapture and there is no millennium. It all ends here, the seventh trump. He conquers all of his enemies and the last enemy, according to 1 Corinthians 
15th chapter is death. When that trumpet sounds, no more dying. And the millennial people, the premillennial people, they tell you people are dying all through the millennium. No, not when Christ comes, when he sounds the seventh trumpet. There's not three comings. There's, there's one second coming. Now let's... Now let's look at that verse again. And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So you can just put verse 15 with verse 7 in the previous chapter because the same thing is happening. There's time no longer. No more time. I don't know where they get a thousand year reign on this. There's no more time. Now, I'm going to read the next verse. And the four and twenty elders. It's the same four and twenty elders. How much time do you have, Mike? The four and twenty elders are the same twenty-four elders that you find over here in Revelation, the fourth chapter, verse four, the round, around the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. You can't even understand that if you don't know anything about the Old Testament. You can't. The 24 elders, You first of all, you have to know what the throne of God is. You have to know the throne. The throne is the Ark of the Covenant. Had the temple. Had the veil. The Ark of the Covenant. And it had the mercy seat on the top of the ark and the high priest would come in once a year kill a goat not a lamb a goat come through the veil and sprinkle the ark of the covenant or sprinkle the throne and the Lord Jesus would come down out of this glory cloud sit down on the throne and rule all of Israel from there That's the throne everywhere you find it. The mercy seat. What's the great white throne? Solomon had a a throne made of ivory. And they called it a great white throne when you went before Solomon. So, what are the 24 elders with crowns of gold on the head? Look at Ezekiel, uh, not Ezekiel, Exodus 28. It's talking about Aaron, the high priest, Exodus 28. This is where Moses is getting instructions to build all the furniture of the temple. Exodus 28, and I believe it's 26. 28. And verse, 
let's this is about the robe and the ephod that the high priest wore the ephod and beneath upon the hem of that were uh, shall make this is in th- verse 33 make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet around about the hem thereof and bells of gold between them round about the bells were on the priest's robe so that when he went into the holy of holies the most holy place if he did one thing wrong god would strike him dead if they kept the bells if the bells kept ringing they knew some say they would tie a rope around his foot in case god struck him dead to drag him out boy i wouldn't want god to strike my father dead and i'd have to end up going back in there for him a golden bell, a pomegranate, a golden bell, a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his and his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. If he quits ringing, God's killed him. The head of the thing says, Son, it's your turn next. Ooh, I wouldn't want that. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it like the gravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on the blue lace that it may be upon the mitre and upon the forefront and the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, a crown, a gold crown upon his forehead. And he's got 24 sons. He's got two sons, but they've got 24 between them. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now, that's the gold crowns. Who are the the 24 elders? Over here in the 24th chapter of 2 Chronicles talking about the family of the family of uh, Aaron and his children 24th chapter go there here's the here's the 24 look at verse 1 now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron to be a high priest in Israel he had to be out of Aaron's loins the sons of Aaron Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ethamar. But Nate, huh? Chapter 24, verse 1. And then verse 2 says, Nadab and Abihu died before their father, had no children, and they were killed by God in the 20, in the 10th chapter of Leviticus because they offered strange fire. And then verse 3, David distributed them both Zadok, the sons of Ithamar, Eleazar, and Ahimelech, the sons of Ithamar, according to their offices and here's their sons look at verse look in the middle of verse 4 among the sons of Eliezer there were 16 chief men of the house of their fathers and 8 among the sons of Ithamar 16 and 8 is 24 they're 24 high priests and what they're doing and they all have gold crowns on their heads don't they so in that, so you can't understand that unless you know something about Exodus at all. You can't sit there and go, I think these are 24 people that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
you goofy. And where's the gold crowns? Go back to the fourth chapter. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. We don't know what it's like in there. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before or in front of the throne. Right here they are, right here. Seven candlesticks. But spiritually, that is the church. According to Revelation one eighteen. The seven candlesticks are the seven churches of Asia. And the seven stars in the right hand Christ are the angels of the seven churches. And then he says, in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Revelation, before the throne, there was a sea of glass. Well, yeah. Before the throne. In front of the throne was the glassy sea. You can find that in First Kings, the seventh chapter, describing the sea. It held 2,000 baths, all the high priests could come and wash before they went and offered the sacrifices on the brazen altar. And then it says, it was a sea of glass. You can't understand anything about that unless you read Exodus 38 and verse 8. When Moses went to build that sea, it was originally a laver to start with, and they grew so big that they had to build it into a sea. And this is in Exodus 38 and verse 8. How are you going to understand that without reading this? 38 verse 8. And Moses made the labor brass. And the foot of it was brass. In the looking glasses of the women assembling, he said, bring your looking glasses. They had those polished brass glasses that they looked into to put their makeup on. So it's a sea of glass, of their looking glasses. It's not hard if you know something about the book of Exodus. I'm out of time. I know this is a lot. I'm trying, I tried to define a lot of things for you this week. Tell you what the seven, the 24 elders are, what their crowns were, what the glasses were, what each of these things mean. If you really know the Bible, if you got a concordance and you're looking up elders, I read so much of the Bible that I've read it so much that I know where these things are. You need to know that it was a sea of glass, looking glasses of the women. They had not perfected putting the silver on the back of clear glass to make it reflect. They hadn't come up with that yet. They took and polished their glasses. I keep mentioning in the old Ten Commandments movie where Charlton Heston played Moses, he went into the castle and into Nefertiri's room the daughter of Moses, and she was looking in one of those looking glasses, putting on her makeup. And it was brass. You could see it was brass. It's not that this is hard. You just got to know what these things mean. You found out what heavens meant. It was Israel. The new heavens and new earth is not some city coming down, landing on the spot in Jerusalem. 
Why would he do that when he calls Jerusalem, Sodom and Egypt? And we're heavenly Jerusalem, aren't we? We sure are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Continue to cause this to grow and teach the people through me so they can be strong in the word. Lord, you fight our battles. We don't want to fight nobody, no more, no time. And so many people want to destroy the ministry. Lord, you you battle them. I won't do it. I can't do it, Lord. Strengthen the flock that's here. I'm puzzled as to what to do, whether to open the church or something. I, I don't know. You deal with me and show me what you'd have me do. We'll praise you for everything you do, giving you glory. In Christ's name, amen. I know that's a lot. I hope it's not confusing. If you understand it, you understand more than any preacher in the state understands. I've never heard a preacher that knew anything about it. I keep saying Revelation is a Jewish book. If you don't look at the Old Testament, you're not going to know what these things mean. You understand this, Teresa? Is it too hard? It's not really. I'm just teaching like you go to school and learn it. But professors in seminaries do not even know what I'm teaching you. They don't think figuratively and they don't look at things analytically, analyzing it. I didn't get these things I teach from a book. I got it from reading the Bible and thinking about it and thinking and analyzing and analyzing. But I always thought that was real dumb that New Jerusalem was going to come down out of heaven and be a great big cube. I thought, a big cube? What do you mean? 